Good evening and thank you for joining us. We continue tonight in our Eastertide series on the Sermon on the Mount. Growing up, I often understood that there was a harsh dichotomy between heaven and earth. Earth is where we currently are and heaven is this place that we are going to when we die. Because of this and because of passages like the one we just read, I couldn't really quite understand that treasures in heaven could actually be something that we have right now in this life. I remember hearing quips about jewels in the crown or just storing up treasures in heaven, typically said after doing some kind of service or help that would go unrecognized. These were things that were said when we would begrudgingly do something, but awaiting an ambiguous reward that was given in heaven for something we would do here on earth. But as Jesus has already shown and talked throughout the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere throughout scripture, heaven is here and now. The kingdom of heaven is currently a reality that is happening here on earth. It's not complete or fully realized, but it is happening. So what do treasures in heaven look like here in this earth? First, to understand an earthly treasure. It's something that can be destroyed or spoiled or stolen. Metal rusts, possessions slowly go away or can even be stolen. Treasures that are here on earth are material things that can be destroyed, damaged, or taken away, either by others or even by ourselves. Jesus then begins to reveal the seriousness of this matter. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart was understood as the center of a person, their will, their desire. What you desire reveals a lot about you. For us, what we spend our money on reveals a lot about what we desire. What we spend our time on reveals a lot about what we desire. Everyone has a treasure or something they value. Is this treasure something of the physical realm? Like a house, a job, a possession, a status, or is this a treasure that has an eternal value? Are we investing our life in the work that God is doing? To be clear, this is not an abstract beyond the here and now, something you get in heaven type of treasure. But this is something that is happening that is real and right now. So what exactly is a treasure in heaven? What are the things that God loves and desires? Whenever we live into those things, we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. If heaven is here and now, which I think it is, then we must be able to recognize and experience a treasure of heaven here and now. If it's something eternal, it has to be beyond any kind of material possession or money. It's something that God is doing within us and in the world around us. What does the rest of scripture have to say about this? What could this look like? Luke says, whoever loses your life will preserve it. Matthew says something similar of those who lose their life will find it. These are actions that produce great value or treasures in us through what God is doing in us and in connection with other people. John says that if we abide in God, he will abide in us. A treasure in heaven is an abiding life with God. Paul, let us not grow tired of doing good to one another. It's a life of service, of doing good to others. In Galatians, we see it's love and joy and peace and patience and on. In 1 John, it's perfect love that casts out fear. An earthly treasure anyone 
could come along and tarnish and destroy, but a heavenly treasure is an act of kindness, a self-sacrificing moment of love, a spurt of radical generosity. See, no one can steal your love. No one can steal your joy or your peace or your generosity. These are all things that are gifts to us from God that we extend to others. We have the rich and beautiful treasure of heaven when we love our neighbor, when we abide in Christ, when we give our life away to our friends, our family, and even to our enemies, when we do good, when our love overcomes fear and scarcity and anxiety. These are the marks of a treasure in heaven. They are not material, but they are eternal, and they are also happening right now. It's when we move towards this life that we come into proper alignment with God and a proper alignment with reality and our relationship to possessions and money. Our hearts, our souls are able to see and deal clearly with the world around us. A heart that is rightly directed brings health and wholeness. This is the picture that Jesus gives about a healthy eye being able to see. To mix metaphors, the heart is the eye of the body, and with it determines our health or our unhealth. When we begin to see treasures of heaven, they are very much here and now. It helps us realign and refocus our priorities. By contrast, the person who treasures things on earth sees everything as distorted. The importance of things is misperceived. Moth and rust and thieves are a real threat. Our earthly treasures can control us. They exert an enormous amount of power over us. From this, Jesus continues to say you cannot serve both God and money. What is translated money is this Greek word mammon, and it's essentially an all-encompassing term for riches, possessions, and treasure. So Jesus is not only talking about money here. He's talking about all material possessions. He's talking about mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Jesus knows the power that money and wealth and possessions have on us. This is simultaneously one of my favorite and least favorite topics to discuss. It's one of my favorites because it's often neglected In the church, we hear about money when there is a building program or when we need a bump in giving to cover the budget. But in reality, those things are rarely, if at all, discussed in Scripture. It's one of my least favorite topics to discuss because it can be filled with guilt and shame and manipulation. It's incredibly personal. And honestly, there aren't very good metrics to help us understand whether or not we love money or whether or not we serve God or serve money. In the New Testament, there are 91 passages about money, and about 40% of them are about giving to the poor or a just distribution of our money and our wealth. And with those 40%, there's another 25% that is a warning about wealth and its dangers. So 65% of the passages in the New Testament about wealth or money or any kind of resources are about how they're to be shared with others and a warning about the danger and the power that they have over us and the impact that it has on our spiritual life. What is one thing that's often overlooked about this topic, possibly because it's uncomfortable, is the influence that mammon has on our spiritual life and our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Craig Blomberg, who's a professor at Denver Seminary, in his book called Neither Poverty Nor Riches, which is one of the best books I've read about a theological understanding of biblical 
um, view of our possessions. This is what he says. It is arguable that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today, including many in the visible church. Materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity. We often don't hear this, and we often don't want to acknowledge it. The immense amount of power that money and wealth and possessions have over us and over our spiritual formation. Throughout the New Testament, it's seen clearly by the breadth of passages that the warning is clear about the dangers of mammon. That's where we get verses like, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. The New Testament writers, especially Jesus, talk about mammon. It comes with strong words and warnings. I believe that this this is something we should pay incredible attention to. Jesus' original audience here in the Sermon on the Mount was primarily day laborers and people who are poor. Somewhere around 75% of people in the first century were working on a daily wage. Yet Jesus still thought they needed to be warned about the dangers of loving money. How much more should we pay attention to Jesus' words on the matter? One thing that's important in a conversation like this is to take an inventory. How much money do we really have? What resources and assets do we own that contribute to our wealth? For me, this is often where the conversation starts to take a turn because I'm wealthier than about 95% of the world. Our household income is somewhere around 9 to 10 times the global median. I think this is often where people like me get lost in this conversation. I can't really fathom that gap because what feels like an exorbitant amount of money to the rest of the world is mostly just enough to pay the bills and live in a city like Denver. What I believe is important about this, though, is recognizing that we are among the wealthiest and most privileged people to ever live. Even though it might not feel like it, we have so much. We have homes filled with furniture and appliances and beds and blankets. We have more clothes than we can ever need, more shoes than we could ever need. I fall very much into that category. We have a kitchen filled with food and working toilets and cars and phones and computers and on and on. This is not to create guilt, but to recognize that we actually have a lot. So what does this mean for us? One thing that's always been a bit disappointing for me in this conversation is a lack of resource to gauge our relationship with money and possessions. I'm not sure if I was asked, do you love money? I'm sure my answer would be, no, I don't love money. Or if I was asked, are you serving God or are you serving money? I'm sure my answer would be, of course I'm serving God. But is this an honest answer or is this answer that I hope to have? How can we gauge the health of our hearts in this conversation? It's challenging because there isn't a clear metric. It's not a certain amount of money or a certain size house or a certain quality of car. It's much more intangible. These are a few questions, and this is certainly not exhaustive, but this is a helpful metric for me to understand how money and possessions can impact me. Do you notice your temperament or emotions changing based on a material possessions you do or do not have? Do you notice a habit to shop or browse things when you have extra time? This is, I am certainly guilty of this. I love running shoes and jackets. Is your happiness associated with a certain dollar amount? 
when I make X amount of money, I'll be satisfied? Is your financial giving based on the end of month calculation to make sure that you have enough? Do you notice yourself being angry or irritable when financial security or comfort is out of your control? Are our thoughts and feelings occupied with thinking about money or material possessions? Does a paycheck or lack thereof dictate our mood and how we relate to one another? This is certainly not exhaustive, but one thing is clear that we need to be able to recognize in ourselves is how we've given power or comfort or control over to money and possessions rather than to God. A few pieces of application. This first one is actually one of the harder ones for me, and I believe this first one is wealth is an inherent good and Christians should work to acquire it. Now, there's certainly a fine line there. We should not overwork ourselves and we should not work to be wealthy, to hoard. And while I believe this true, it's very hard for me to say God doesn't desire any one of us to live in poverty. Wealth is an inherent good and we should work to inquire it. God desires good for us. Now, hear this clearly. This is not a prosperity gospel, believe in God and you will be wealthy and all your troubles will be washed away type of thing but that God cares deeply for us and he wants us to flourish, which I believe that includes every aspect of our life, even our financial aspect. Honestly, I'm still working on this in my relationship with money. I tend more towards guilt than anything else. I see this enormous call from Jesus, like to the rich young ruler, to sell everything. And I believe that in order to be accepted and to be loved by God, that I have to give enormously. And oftentimes, my giving is not motivated by generosity or love, but it's motivated by guilt to want to be accepted and loved by God. I can't recognize the good that God intends for us with money and possessions. I can't recognize that those are good things that he wants us to have in order to enjoy this life here and now. God cares about this life, this earth, and he wants us to flourish. The second is wealth is seductive. And because of that, giving away some of our surplus and our money and our possessions is a good strategy for resisting temptation to overvalue those things. When you make a big purchase, can you give a similar amount of money away? Can you take a tax reimbursement or, for example, right now, a stimulus check and give some of that money away? If wealth is seductive, a good practice is to give this away. A third is uh, in the New Testament and throughout Scripture, a sign of spiritual maturity and growth is generosity. So as we progress in our Christ-likeness, we should want to continue to be generous and give our wealth away. Over time, becoming more compassionate and more generous, can you slowly increase your giving year over year? Can you look at your monthly budget and if there's extra money at the end of the month that usually goes into savings, can you give that away one month? How can you be generous with whatever extra money you may have? Jesus cares deeply for us. And I believe that this is one of the many reasons why he talks so much about mammon and he takes it so seriously. He wants us to understand its power and its danger to our spiritual health. This is a hard topic for us, especially as wealthy Americans. What I believe is the call for us, and as we say every week, is to increase in generosity because 
We want to go out into the world and show what God is like. God is generous and he is loving. There's far more joy and commitment and generosity than there is in hoarding and consuming. There's far more joy in a life that's depicted by treasures in heaven rather than earthly money and materials that fade away. So as we close this portion of our service and we move into communion, we're reminded of what a generous life looks like. So as you and I follow the way of Jesus together, may we increase in generosity so that there is no one in need around us and so that we can go out into the world and show the world what God is like.